welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by actors from the San Joaquin Valley. This episode features the mystery short story, The Glass Slip-Up by Shel Martin and read by local actor, Sean Hopper. Unlike the other stucco or sided homes in the area, 45 Castle Drive boasted an unusual design with a stone turret surrounded by a flowering landscape. Detective John Straub of the Fresno PD studied the house and mused momentarily as to whether the flowers might be artificial. Upon closer inspection, he found them to be quite real. They certainly weren't native to the area, and how they could thrive here was anybody's guess. As he walked up the front steps, several mice jumped onto the porch and remained beside him as he rang the bell. An attractive blonde in her twenties greeted him. Yes? Are you Miss Rella? he asked. Yes, she replied. He flashed his badge and asked if he could speak with her. Certainly, Detective. Won't you come in? Detective Straub entered the house along with the mice, which scurried into the large living room and disappeared behind some furniture. He was sure the woman noticed them, yet said nothing. Miss Rella, he began, after they'd both seated themselves. Please, call me Cindy, she said. Very well, Cindy. I'd like to ask you a few questions about Miss Drusilla Wicket. As you are aware, she was found shot to death outside her home. Oh, my stepsister, Cindy said. Such a shame. I can't believe she's gone. Where were you last Friday night? Straub asked. Cindy Rella sighed. You mean, do I have an alibi? I'm sure you've heard we never got along, but I didn't kill her, detective. I was with Peter that night. Peter? Yes, my fiancé. He took me to a ball. A ball? Yes, it was a charity fundraiser for furry friends. You know, to help animals. I see. What time did he pick you up? Oh, he didn't pick me up. I met him there around seven. You drove? Not exactly. My godfather dropped me off. You can ask him yourself. His name is Alan Ferry. Ferry is your godfather? As in the famous shoe designer? Cindy nodded. He'll vouch for me. He's known me since I was a little girl. What can you tell me about your stepsister, Anastasia? I understand you had a recent argument with her. In fact, your neighbor heard you arguing in your front yard last week. Cindy rolled her eyes. Oh, that. Yes, Anastasia was here. Ever since Alan became famous, she and Drusilla haunted me for free shoes. She snorted in disgust. <laughs> Yet back when I lived with them, all they would give me were their ragged old clothes. Did you call her a gold-digging bitch? Well, detective, if the shoe fits... Straub jotted a few notes. About this ball, you say you arrived at seven. What time did you leave? At the stroke of midnight. 
Isn't that when things get into full swing these days? Why leave so early? Were you going to turn into a pumpkin if you didn't get home? Something like that, Cindy murmured. Straub's pencil stopped moving. Pardon? I wasn't feeling well. I called my godfather to pick me up and left. That's all there is to it. So you left in a hurry. Did you leave the premises any time during the ball? No. Someone witnessed you out in the parking area around 8.30. Then you disappeared. Why was that? Oh, yes. I called Alan to meet me there. I'd left my coach bag in his car, and he brought it to me. I didn't leave the grounds. Straub paused from his writing to survey the room. He had obviously walked in on the woman while she had been cleaning. A bottle of Windex sat on a glass coffee table next to a sparkling glass pump-style shoe. "'That's an interesting figurine,' Straub said. "'My wife loves tchotchkes. In fact, I bet she could squeeze her foot into that shoe. I'm guessing size six and a half. He reached for the shoe. "'I'd rather you didn't,' Cindy said. "'I'm very careful. Like I said, my wife—' "'It's not that.' You'll get fingerprints all over it. Oh, Straub said, his fingers stopping short of the figurine. I'm awfully sorry. In fact, i better let you get back to your work. Straub rose and walked to the door. Oh, one more question, Miss Rilla. What size shoe do you wear? I'm a perfect size seven. Why do you ask? I think you know the answer to that question. He thanked her for her time and rose to leave. As he exited the door, the mice ran out behind him. Straub stood outside a small apartment building in Clovis. The name on the buzzer read P. Charming. He sounded the bell. A moment later, he was greeted by a pudgy balding man of average height. Yeah, what can I do you for? the man asked while scratching at his dingy t-shirt. Are you Mr. Peter Charming? Yeah. And you are? Detective John Straub, Fresno PD. Charming belched and asked him in. Don't mind the digs, the maid is off today. When Straub didn't laugh, Charming added, That was a joke, detective. Beer cans and various other bags and papers littered the living area. Straub had to toss aside a pile of clothes just to find a seat on a faded couch. It creaked under his trim weight. Charming plopped himself on a recliner that had seen better days. I bet this is about Cindy, huh? Why do you say that? Straub asked. Charming grimaced. I heard about Drusilla. I knew it was a matter of time before one of them offed the other. From what I understand, Cindy had a pretty abusive upbringing. Oh yeah, that's her story, all right. She wore rags, she had to scrub floors, never got to go anywhere. He laughed. <laughs> she had me believe in that crap, too. Straub knew that love could be blind, but... Cindy said you were her fiancé, and you were her date for a recent charity ball? Charming smiled. Was. 
After the ball, she stopped returning my calls. That night, she got what she wanted, and then she was done with me. Straub couldn't believe his ears. Was he saying... Peter got up, went into another room, then returned with a sketch. This, he said, slapping the paper, this is what she wanted from me. After that, the magic was gone. Straub looked at a detailed drawing of a pair of shoes. Charming explained, I designed these for her. In fact, I gave her the shoes that night of the ball. Nobody had shoes like this. Not even her godfather, the designer, ever came up with something this original. Cindy said she'd make me famous. She said the shoes would make her the envy of everyone at the ball. And just what was so special about these shoes? I know you can't tell from the sketches, but these shoes were one-of-a-kind glass slippers. I made them myself. Straub smiled. The shoe looked exactly like the one on Cinderella's coffee table, and he'd bet dollars to donuts the mate was the one found at the murder scene. All rise! It was the final day of deliberation in the case of the State of California versus Miss Cinderella on the count of murder in the first degree in the death of Drusilla Wicket. Cindy had entered a plea of not guilty. Judge Cloud Froyo presided over the hearing. The district attorney, Miss Minerva Ratone, after questioning and cross-examining a veritable list of socialites, the defendant's jilted fiancé, her godfather, and several eyewitnesses at the ball, called her final witness to the stand. State your name for the court. Griselda Tremaine, but I prefer to be called Lady Tremaine. And what is your relation to the defendant? I'm Cindy's stepmother. Can you describe Cindy's relationship with your daughters, Drusilla and Anastasia? That girl, Cindy, was a most difficult child. I raised her as a favor to my dear departed sister. Yet she was jealous of my daughters. Even after moving out, she fought with them over the tiniest things. Did the siblings ever come to blows? Cindy once whacked Drusilla with a broom. And what was the reason for that? Lady Tremaine snorted. <laughs> Why, it was over a pair of shoes, of course. Drusilla had borrowed a pair of shoes from Cindy. When she returned them, Cindy accused her of stretching them out of shape with, and I quote, her big ogre-like feet. Murmurs filled the courtroom. The D.A. paused as the judge called for order. And then Miss Rella struck your daughter with a broom, she reiterated for the courtroom. So your stepdaughter was prone to acts of violence in the past. Objection! Sustained, said the judge. Miss Raton, we're nearing the end. Please don't turn this into a Mickey Mouse court. No further questions. The defense attorney, a slightly built man named I.M. Bashfell, appeared dwarfed in comparison to the D.A. As he spoke, he almost seemed out of place. L -l 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 Lady Tremaine, he began, 
what you are saying here today is that your daughters uh, and Miss Rella argued over uh, trivial things like shoes? Lady Tremaine wouldn't be intimidated. Shoes are not trivial in today's day and age. Didn't you watch Sex and the City? Shoes are the woman. Even so, Lady Tremaine, my client had access to dozens, make that hundreds of shoes. Her godfather could supply her with whatever her heart desired. Despite the, the, the arguments Cinderella may have had with your daughters, did she not also provide them with uh, ball gowns that she herself designed and sewed? I suppose so. And did Miss Rella not provide dates for, for your daughters when they couldn't secure any on their own? She may have. And didn't your daughter Drusilla, on the day you said Miss Rella allegedly struck her with a broom, make advances to Miss Rella's boyfriend at the time, Mr. Peter Charming? I know nothing about that. Don't you, Lady Tremaine? In fact, wasn't it your idea that Drusilla tried to break up the two lovers? No! and that you yourself used to strike Miss Rella with a broom when she was a child? No! When the defense attorney completed his line of questioning, the DA called the court's attention to Exhibit A. I'd like to introduce the shoe found at the scene of the murder. It is one size seven glass slipper. You heard in earlier testimony by Peter Charming that he made a pair of size seven glass slippers specifically for his then fiance, the defendant. The DA glanced around the courtroom, then at Detective Straub, before making her next request. Peter Charming identified this shoe, as well as another found at Miss Rella's home, as the pair of glass slippers he made specifically for her. Exhibit A after lab analysis, was found to have traces of the victim's blood, as well as fingerprints matching those of the defendant. Your Honor, we would like at this time that the defendant try on the pair of glass slippers. A gasp reverberated throughout the courtroom. Judge Froyo banged his gavel several times. Objection! Bashfell shouted. Overruled. I'll allow it, said the judge. Miss Rotone, you may proceed with the trying on of the shoes. The bailiff took the Exhibit A shoe and its mate to the defense table where Cindy Rella sat. Everyone in the room held their breath as Cindy slipped off her prison slippers. The bailiff knelt and took Exhibit A, which had been carefully encased in plastic wrap to preserve the evidence, and slid it on to her size seven foot. Her toes slipped inside but the heel came up short. Seeing what was happening, the DA intervened. It's the plastic wrap. The shoe can't fit properly with the plastic wrap. Try the other shoe. The bailiff reached for the second glass slipper and placed it on Cindy's other foot, but to no avail. It fit as poorly as the first shoe had. The courtroom erupted in gasps and murmurs. Again, the judge banged his gavel. 
I am Bashfell was on his feet. Your Honor, we move all charges against my client be dropped. If the shoe doesn't fit, she's not guilty one bit. Cindy kicked back in the passenger seat of Alan Ferry's Lexus. I can't wait to celebrate. She stretched her slender arms and twisted from side to side. She still felt stiff from being confined and shackled. Upon turning toward Alan, she glimpsed a shoebox on the back seat and reached for it. Before he could stop her, she opened the lid and removed a pair of ruby slippers. Ooh! Cindy cooed. Alan, you've really outdone yourself. Are these for me? Actually, no, honey. Those are for a girl in Kansas. And don't go getting all weepy on me. In fact, we better stop on the way home for some Midol for that PMS. I don't care if those swollen feet of yours saved your hide and probably mine. You aren't pretty when you're bloating. The Glass Slip-Up was produced by Kings River Life. You can learn more about Shell Martin and her writing on her website, shellmartin.com. Our theme song, The Blues, was written and played by Kevin Memley. Check out Kings River Life Magazine's websites for more mystery, local theater, animal rescue, and so much more. kingsriverlife.com and krlnews.com. For more mystery podcast fun, check out It's a Mystery Podcast. Every Monday, It's a Mystery Podcast features a reading from a mystery author you love or one you're just about to discover. Think of it as a virtual library or bookstore reading in the privacy of your own headphones. There are over 100 episodes to choose from, including readings from Kathy Reichs and Keith McCafferty. Listen and subscribe at itsamysterypodcast.com. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. We'll be back next time with another mystery short story or mystery first chapter. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter to get special interviews with the authors of the podcast stories. And follow us on Twitter to keep up with everything KRL at Kings River Life. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate or review it, because this helps make us easier for others to find. Until next time, this is your announcer, Jim Tuck, wishing you a life full of mystery.